Hi, I'm Nika Kabiri. I do decision science, and you're listening to Cut to the Chase. Stepping out beyond boundaries takes courage and the ability to dream. We are excited to share our new audio podcast called Cut to the Chase. The structure of this podcast embodies open dialogue with friends, family, and professional colleagues talking about things that impact our ability to thrive. We hope that you will join our unscripted, unbridled podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cut to the Chase, episode 95, entitled How We Make Decisions. Yes, I have come up with another crazy title. It's going to be a very interesting discussion. And for those of you that are hanging on by your nails right now, stand by because today I've discovered something which I consider to be almost like a needle in a haystack. I mean, our featured guest today is someone that is formably out doing the great things that are needed to really kind of address the question as to how we make decisions. And so before I get started in introducing our featured guests, I have at least a couple quotes, and I'm going to not read them all right now, but certainly this one I think will, will basically kind of set the tone and the stage for how we want to move forward. Discussions are the hardest things to make, or excuse me, decisions are the hardest things to make, especially when it's a choice between where you should be and where you want to be. And so to our listeners, our featured guest today is a decision science consultant. She's a teacher. She's a best-selling author who helps people get real, move forward, and minimize regret. She has spent the past two decades studying how people make decisions in various contexts from business to politics and relationships. She also teaches decision science at the University of Washington and is the founder and owner of Cabrera Consulting, where she uses decision science principles to help her clients make the right choices. She's also the co-author and bestseller of book Money Off the Table, Decision Science and the Seekers to Smarter Investment. She has a PhD in psychology, or excuse me, sociology from the University of Washington, where her academic focus has been on choice theory and decision making within constraints. She also has a JD from the University of Texas. During the last 10 years in business, or excuse me, during the last 10 years as a business strategist and consumer rights insight consultant, she has helped numerous companies understand consumer purchase decisions and making their own choices. As a thought leader, she has conducted surveys in America relationships and finding where featured in several press outlets across U.S., which accumulated into interviews by Forbes, MarketWatch, articles in the Huff- Huffington Post, and satellite radio tours. She's also a former law and society instructor, instructor at the University of Washington and has experience in working in legal profession where she's where she's seen firsthand how decisions are made and can lead to inequality and injustice. Now I know I've said a mouthful. Now, you know, our featured guest has done a lot 
And, you know, when we start talking about decisions, I think the first question I'm going to open up with her on, she 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 hasn't realized this yet because I haven't introduced her, but I think she's going to go, wait a minute. <laughs> but anyway, as I wrap up, personally, she has spent much of her adult life struggling with depression, anxiety, trauma related to symptoms, disappointed by the therapy and the self-help industry. She found true hope in decision science. She can say today that she's truly fulfilled despite all the challenges that life consistently throws her way. She owns it all through science of decision making. And without further ado, I'd like to introduce our featured guest, Nika Cabrera. Are there any opening remarks or did I do such a bad job introducing you that you're going to go, Greg, let's stop right here. <laughs> no, thanks for having me, first of all. And it's really, you know, it's really unusual. It's not every day that I hear someone else read my bio to me, because when I hear what you what you read about me, it doesn't really match up to how I see myself, because I, I, you know, I think I wonder if everyone is like this, but all I think about are like my mistakes <laughs> and right. maybe that's I make, I study decision-making, but I don't think about the accomplishments as much as, oh, I could have done that better. I could have made that choice better, but sure. yeah, that's sure. my remark. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> well, uh, Nika, thank you very much for being on the program. Like I said, during our discovery call, it was rather intriguing to me that there is this this formidable type of teaching and practice and and career stint based on decision science. And, you know, it was one of those things that was so intriguing to me. I think we had such a great uh, introductory call that I was like, you know, we've got to do, you know, a podcast about decision making. And so my first question to you, I'm really going to take this kind of right out of your textbook. I've always wondered why people make dumb choices and repeat those mistakes which lead to misery. Help us understand the rationale behind that. I know that's a powerful question to kind of lead into as the first question, but we'd really like to know, why do we do these type of things? Yeah, so I'll just start answering that by saying that my my answer is only going to scratch the surface. Um, sure. But... With that said, you know, the the human brain is a really amazing machine and it's wired for efficiency. And if you can imagine, you know, years and years and years ago when we were hunters and gatherers or, you know, living in, um, you know, more primitive, so to speak, times that, you know, we needed to think very quickly in order to survive because danger was around every corner. Um, if you know, wild animal was um, sneaking up on us. We couldn't stop and rationally assess the situation. We had to to run or fight. Um, you know, we our brains sort of are really great at being efficient and mm -hmm. making decisions very quickly. And unfortunately, there are drawbacks to that. And you can kind of see that if you look around at how far we've come. Like the human race has dominated this planet, but mm -hmm. it's also it's also kind of done a lot of things that weren't so haven't been so great for the planet. So there's a there's a downside to that efficiency and um but that's one reason why we kind of make mistakes because we are it's unnatural almost for us to slow down and to think about like the the laws of probability for instance when we want to forecast 
what the likelihood of certain options might be. You know, we kind of assume mm-hmm. we know how things are going to turn out. Um, but, you know, we really don't do the, the right thinking or the slow thinking to assess that. And so mm-hmm. we make the wrong decisions and and habits form and inertia forms. And, and so it kind of stems, part of it stems from that. And I'm putting it very simplistically. And then the other part of it is that we're really social, we're social creatures. Mm-hmm. We, we need each other. We, we weren't made to survive um, in solitude. And so we are influenced a lot by the people around us, by the need to belong, um, social pressures to go with the majority, things like that. And sometimes other people, the majority, our social groups, they kind of constrain us. And this is the choices within constraints sort of situation. The norms of our, of our environment sort of constrain us in the options that we might think we have available. We think we have fewer options than we actually do or different options than we actually do. Mm-hmm. And they also push us to make choices that benefit the group. So um, yeah, that, that's just it in a nutshell. Well, thank you very much for explaining that to us. So, you know, earlier on, I, I, I read, you know, a little bit about your bio and it talked about, you know, your perseverance, your, you know, overcome of adversities and, and things like that. And so I guess my next question would be along the lines of, since you were unable to kind of find the therapy and this and and the help that you were looking for because as as you mentioned earlier on or should I say as I mentioned earlier on there's a lot of self-help out there that that people cast out and 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 sometimes it adds value and then sometimes it really doesn't it's not a one size or one 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 size fit fits all and so my question to you is was that your motivation to really seek out the science behind decision making i mean what what drove you towards really trying to understand you know the mystery behind decision making yeah um to be honest my interest in studying decision making was kind of thrust on me in graduate school i just happened to be lucky enough to to be in a um in a department and working and studying under some of the top scholars in rational choice theory and sociology. And so um, it was it was there that I really got into decision making. But even before that, just studying sociology as a science, it it helped me see how the world worked. It helped mm-hmm. me understand how people function in groups and how they make choices and how the the world and the way it's kind of structured, the institutions that we live in, how they kind of push and pull us in different directions. And for some reason, it it seemed a lot more useful to me to look outside myself for help than to look inside myself. And I mean, I I would I was religiously into therapy. I was totally into self help books. I would read self help books like like they were candy, just, just pop them in my mouth and eat them. And, and, you know, time and again, it just, it felt like I wasn't really getting better. I was getting more emotional, but I wasn't really getting better. And, um, and I think it, it wasn't until I realized that I'm not really good at looking inside. I think we're not, we think we're better at assessing our situations than we really are. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and then, you know, of course, later in life, just doing more scholarly research on on the human brain and psychology, it, you know, re- research sort of 
reveals that. And studies have been done to show that our our ability to self-assess is really poor, but you won't, you know, you won't hear that in therapy. Um, therapy is sort of built around the premise that you you sit in an office and you self-report. You tell the therapist how you feel and what's going on with you and you self-assess. And based on that information alone, um, they provide some feedback or help or medication. And that I, I kind of something in my brain just sort of clicked. It was like, oh, okay. So I no wonder why I wasn't getting help. I wasn't, I wasn't equipped to tell them what I needed. And not only that, um, they couldn't see me in my daily life either. And it just, it just didn't seem right to me. Mm-hmm. So that's just sort of where it came from. And I'm not proposing that everyone quit therapy and by any means, that was just my personal journey. Um, yeah. 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 Cer- certainly appreciate you, uh, sharing that. I mean, and I, and I think you're right because, um, in a lot of cases, you know, you find, like I said earlier, kind of, there's not a one one size fit all, you know, it's not like wearing a hat. You know, I can I can reflect back on some of my own personal, you know, challenges and decision making when I hit rock bottom. And as I reflect back on some of those things, you know, therapy, you know, was thought about and therapy was kind of, you know, I put my toe in the water. But like you said, you know, they really were not at the time, you know, fulfilling my internal emotional needs in a way that I thought I was getting kind of value added. And mm-hmm. so therefore I had to look at other aspects of of trying to fulfill what I needed, which was really to kind of go through that period of time and really kind of focus in on the healing process from for in my case, it was from within. You know, I had to I had to really sit down and kind of just really make those tough decisions as, okay, what did I learn from all of these bad things that occurred? You know, how am I going to get better in being able to move forward and and not kind of repeat those habits? What type of habits that I, you know, had in the past that I should change in the future, you know, and, and all those things really kind of came to a head. And once I got my overall mind state back to where it needed to be and a reflection of my physical state being back to where it needed to be and had the strength to really go back and tackle a lot of those problems that I had left behind, it made it more rewarding for me than to be sitting in a therapist's office uh, saying, this is what's going on. This is how it's happening. Because you're right. I mean, we don't necessarily reflect in the best possible light of who we are. Sometimes we only portray that in a manner that allows for people to see what we want them to see. I see a lot of that going on just in the social media platform uh, as as opposed to how things are cast out in the world today and the decisions that are being made you know and i'm and i'm not I'm not showing any any negativity towards people that are doing what they're doing out there on social media, but really, do you live that way every single day? Do you dress that way every single day? Do you drive a Bentley? Every single day. So to me, it's kind of, it's almost comical because it, it doesn't really show the real kind of authentic uh, individual, you know, that that we can be as as human beings. And I'll get off my soapbox, but I just figured I would, I would kind of put that in there just to kind of, you know, put a different perspective on it. Because for me, it is, it is crucial how we make decisions because, you know, I feel that we're in a in a very tumultuous time right now where decisions are becoming more and more important. 
Uh, they're they're weighed extremely high on the, on the scale of, of value and priorities because of the simplicity is that people are struggling right now. And this is not just whether it's a black thing or a white thing or any type of other cultural thing. It is people are struggling across the board to really try and figure out, well, where am I going to be in three months? Where am I going to be in six months? How am I going to survive? How am I going to put food on the table? What are all the things that people are trying to make decisions on just to survive? I mean, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, well, um, it's a really difficult time. And I think a lot of people um, may be putting a lot of pressure on themselves to either make it or break it. Like if they if they pull out of their situation now, um, for those who are really struggling right now, then then great, they did a great thing, and and yet the pressure is on them. Um, we don't exist in a vacuum. We don't make mm-hmm. choices in a vacuum. We are constrained by our environment and the situations that we're in give us the options to some extent that we are allowed to entertain. So Mm -hmm. um, it's sort of, yeah, you do have to take some charge and do the best you can to make the best decisions to try to eliminate bias or try to make sure you're slowing down and not acting impulsively um, and think more strategically. But at the same time, you know, if, if things don't work out your way, it's, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. you can always say, oh, I should have, I could have, I should have known better. But, you know, your environment has a lot to do with it as well, which, which really opens us up to asking, like, what can we change about our environments? Like, what can we change about our social system, our society, or the way things are structured? And what power do we have to change all of that so that we have better options, so that all of us have better options? Right, right. Well, I mean, you know, I, you know, from from my opinion, if, if that's a question that that's being asked uh, to me, you know, as a part of, you know, the decisions that are going on, I think we have to kind of remove. And, and a lot of people have talked about the gender and the cultural biases that that are out there. But I think we've got to remove, you know, things that are inhibiting us from getting back to the simple aspect of communication and respect amongst one another, because if we can't be if we can't communicate and we don't have respect for one another there's never going to be any type of forward progress in achieving whatever we need to achieve in this in this life mm-hmm. and so those are just the two simple things that i look at you know from a standpoint of you know having the ability to ensure that everyone is welcome you know anybody that wants to be on our podcast has the capability of being on our podcast you know it those type of things is, you know, they're not necessarily eccentric to one side or the other. It just provides, um, you know, really the underlining, or should I say the underpinning mantra that, you know, it's about unity, it's about togetherness, it's about bringing forth value that's going to really kind of uplift whoever is listening, you know, and, and, and keeping a lot of those things kind of outside of the the boundaries of what causes people to say, well, I like this, but I don't like this or whatever the case may be, because those type of things really never go over very well. Yeah. And, you know, um, I, I tend to think about communication. Um, maybe it's just the science brain in me and I, I don't know. And But I think about it as information. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think that a lot of people, when they talk to one another, uh, they they aren't listening for information. They're listening to form judgment 
or to make a decision too quickly. Um, so they'll hear something or they'll, you know, from, from say you're in a relationship, for instance, and you hear your spouse say something, um, a lot of times we're hearing it through our own lenses. Right. Um, I like to put my like information seeking cap on when I'm successful, uh, I can do this sometimes, you know, I'm, people are all human. It's hard to always do, but you know, to, to think about, okay, when, when someone's communicating with you, they're sharing information with you that could be vital to how you fashion the rest of your life or your day or whatever, whatever you're looking mm-hmm. forward to. And don't you want the most information possible? Don't you want to know everything you can possibly know before you jump to some decision about how to handle it or what to do? And I find that when I think about, like when my partner communicates with me and I think about it in terms of this is this is valuable data and evidence that I can use to to figure out what I need to do or how I need to work with him to get to where I go. Um, it becomes a lot easier. It becomes a lot easier to um, to get along too. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, do apologize. Looks like uh, the guys outside of our studio here are weed whacking or something. So. Uh, <laughs> either that or you're on a motorboat yeah that that uh sometimes uh you know those things uh tend to happen when you're uh in this particular case recording um you know at at different times of the day so so i i, I do apologize i've got some folks trying to get out there to get them get them out of here because they're driving me nuts <laughs> <laughs> Poor, poor decision on their behalf, even though the red light's on going, hey, we're recording, you know, we're recording. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> the right information. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 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 So let's talk a little bit about, you know, what 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 you saw kind of in some of the decision making, you know, throughout your career that you kind of attribute to inequality and, uh, injustice. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we tend to think about inequality in terms of bias and I hear a lot of people talking about bias, um, as if it's a, 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 as if it is a choice, you know, we talk about hate or discrimination and we like to think about the people who engage in that kind of thinking as, as acting rationally in the sense that they've sort of weighed the pros and cons of being biased versus not being biased or being, you know, um, racist versus not being racist and that they have this agency, like that they're, they're going out there with like this, yes, I've weighed the pros and cons and racism is the way to go. And they might talk that way. And I, I do think there are some, we call like social entrepreneurs who benefit personally or financially, for instance, from getting a lot of people to follow those kinds of beliefs. And I'm going to put those people aside because they're they're more rational. But I think it's it's really common for us to think that other people are being rational. And that's why we don't understand why they're doing what they're doing, because it's not doesn't make sense. And we also like to think that we're being rational, even though we're not. Um, but the truth is that the bias isn't something we are even aware of. And that's by definition what a bias is. It's happening under the radar. And it's just lazy. It's really kind of a form of lazy thinking in that we have limited information. We get we don't go out and 
find more information. We don't prove our, try to prove ourselves wrong just to make sure that our thinking is airtight. We, um, we like to rely on stories we hear as evidence of how the world works, personal stories even, maybe even anecdotes that maybe our parents might have told us or few people know about, rather than looking at statistics and data. Um, and so we, we just kind of would just engage in lazy thinking, fast thinking, not very rational. And, you know, enough of us are doing it. It creates this, you know, this large scale sort of, they become systemic problems because we're taking mental shortcuts. And so, you know, my next question to you, as we kind of pick back up into this is really along the lines of, you know, where do you see in the science of decision-making, you know, going forward? I mean, is it going to be something that we will basically still as human beings be able to uh, rely upon, you know, the science or will it become more prevalent from a AI perspective as to more predictive decisions that are being made for people? Because I'm starting to see some of those things right now, even in the aspect of what we was talking about earlier, which is social media, you know, they look at your habits, they look at all the other different things. They really don't want you to make the decision because you've kind of made those decisions based on your your prior patterns. And now we're just going to put the type of content in front of you. And we're going to allow for you to just basically pick based on the the pick list that we've already decided. So what are your thoughts around that? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So those are, I mean, that's a lot of behavioral analysis, really just looking at mm-hmm. different behaviors and looking for relationships with, with, you know, running um, predictive models, like you said, to predict relationships, uh, relationships between one behavior and another, um, or looking for relationships between one behavior and another so you can predict, okay, if if that one behavior happens again, then we can predict the other behavior will probably happen again. Um, and that, yeah, you're right. That is that is being kind of refined to um, inform AI, machine learning, so that things can be more automated, so that even machines can make decisions um, mm-hmm. in, in more streamlined ways. Um, and, and people who do that do call themselves decision scientists as well. They do, I, I, they do very different things than I, than I do. Um, I, I think what they do is super fascinating and I, I, I think it's pretty, I mean, it's really amazing to imagine how they're doing it. Um, the ethical considerations of that aside, there's, I, I believe there's just more to, to decision-making than just looking at behavioral patterns. Sure. And so, because a lot of times people don't do what they really want to do. Um, mm-hmm. or they don't really do something because it's a decision. Sometimes it's an indecision or inertia, you know, doing the same thing over and over again. You can predict future behavior by that, but it's, I think I'm really more interested in understanding how people make their choices so that we can like evolve and make better ones um, right. as opposed to just trying to explain, you know, how things are happening right now. So I, I really don't know much about the, how that, how quickly that field is developing um, mm-hmm. probably pretty rapidly. But um, if you asked me, I wish that more, um, you know, schools would teach decision-making in, you know, an elementary, at the elementary level or the middle school mm-hmm. level. 
I wish there were college classes on like optimal decision making, um, not as a science necessarily or, or discipline, but just as a life skill, as a life tool. Sure. sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you there. Um, you know, that those have been areas of decision making, critical thinking, project management. I mean, there's just, there's a whole list of things that I had in my sweet spot of, of things that I wish my kids would have learned a lot sooner in life. Uh, <laughs> particularly now that all of those things are, are very well needed and entrenched into your normal day-to-day um, of, of, of activities. Mm-hmm. And so, um, as we're almost uh, out of time, barring the uh, weed whacker slash blower uh, interruption, <laughs> I'd like to ask, you know, what are some of the takeaways that you have discovered um, in, in not only your teaching and learning uh, about decision making science, but also what are some of the things that you believe that people should be focused in on, you know, beyond the emotion, beyond the bias and beyond, you know, past memories that when they start to make concise decisions, you know, to avoid the misery, because sometimes, you know, they make decisions and they're not always the right decisions. They do them out of one of these things that, you know, we've talked about influence or bias or reason or emotions. You know, what are some of those takeaways that you could leave with our listeners? Yeah. So, um, you know, some decisions we make are kind of minor, like maybe what earrings I wore today, you know, right, right. This deal in the world. But if you're thinking about like important decisions, I think one thing to really keep in mind is to stop and just take a breath before you decide. Chances are that even for our most important decisions, we're probably making them much more quickly than we should be. Um, there is also analysis paralysis that does happen. Um, we can get stuck when our options don't look good or when there are too many trade-offs to evaluate or we don't have enough information. But for the most part, it you know it's really helpful to stop take a breath, take a moment and yeah, sleep on your decisions. Um, Mm -hmm. That kind of puts you in a less impulsive, less emotional, more rational frame of mind. And Mm -hmm. people are all kind of moody and your mood might change when you're you're faced with, oh my gosh, I have to do something right now. I have to decide what to do. Um, If you can be in a hotter state and make more impulsive decisions, you might want to just take a break, take a breath, slow down. Um, And another thing that I think is really important is to kind of frame questions as kind of under what conditions type of questions. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we make decisions asking, should I do this or should I do that? Mm -hmm. Or how can I do this? You know, how can I do that? Um, I think the should I, shouldn't I, they're, they're really, you know, yes, no binary black and white types of questions. I like to frame my questions in terms of like under what conditions might I be able to do X, Y, or Z? So if, for instance, you know, a lot of people right now are thinking about starting their own business because an yep. economic downturn is a really great time to do it, especially if you're unemployed. Well, should I or shouldn't I do this is a kind of tough question to answer. Like, where do you even start with that? But mm-hmm. under what conditions might starting a business actually work out for me? It kind of opens you up to looking for the information you need to to, to answer that question, like, so what are the conditions? Like, do I need seed money? 
what kind of, how good is my idea? Do I need a really good idea or just a kind of good idea? Like, do I have what it takes? And that leads you to making a better decision. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we certainly thank you for sharing all of those things uh, with us. And um, certainly to our listeners, uh, there was just so many uh, gems being dropped throughout this dialogue. And we hope that basically, you know, to our listeners, they were able to capture some of those good insights and good tips. And as we begin to wrap up here, um, one of the last quotes that uh, is by Mr. Mark Twain states, good decisions come from experience. Experience comes from making bad decisions. Now, <laughs> that's, uh, that's rather classic in, in the context of, of him stating that, you know, based on lessons learned or failures, you know, picking yourself up when you fall off the horse. But in a lot of cases, you know, I, uh, I certainly uh, believe that as we make good decisions, we have to be in the right frame of mind. And I think you hit on some of those points of sleeping on, you know, your decision, uh, making sure you're calm and making sure you're not making an impulsive uh, decision uh, versus a reactive decision. And I can agree with you on those things wholeheartedly. Yeah. So uh, to our listeners and Nika, thank you very much again. Apologize for the weed whacker or blower, whatever what the guy was going on out there. But uh, this has been a quite a joy. We look forward to maybe having you back on the program uh, for future collaborations. And uh, certainly uh, to everyone, please be safe. Um, be careful out there. Show compassion. Show empathy towards one another. This has been Episode 95, How We Make Decisions. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to Cut to the Chase. Stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and LinkedIn at Cut to the Chase. You'll also find even more great content on our website at www.k2tcpodcast.com. Thank you and catch you on the next episode.